enjoying some time off, but we get to hear the word from Breno today, so we're excited about that. So I uh, want to give you a couple quick announcements. Uh, tonight, youth group's at 5.30 to 7.30, and Colton's going to be speaking, so I'm excited for that. Colton gets to go down and speak in Indiana next week, so we're excited for, for that opportunity. Uh, Tuesday night, adults, young, young adults, uh, 6.30 here at the church. Ministry night is coming up next Saturday, August 22nd, um, and we got prayer nights here at 6 p.m., so make sure you come in on Wednesday night if you want or join us online. Uh, last day to sign up, ladies, for the women's retreat is August 30th, so don't miss that opportunity. Get signed up. And uh, be praying for Eddie as his uh, aunt passed away this morning uh, down in Brazil from covid and he's got another aunt that's got that as well, so be praying for her that she would be healed up. Uh, this is difficult for the family. Um, also, uh, we'll be, uh, we're going to be taking up the offering. If you, if you uh, missed the opportunity to give, there's some in the back as before you come in. And if you're, if you're a member of another church and you're just visiting with us, we encourage you to hang on to that and give it to your local church so that they don't uh, experience a lot of lack during this time. Uh, our sermon notes are right up here, so if you, uh, kids, if you want to give your, you know, get a, get some of these notes and take, take notes while we're, uh, while Brennan's giving the word, uh, you can win some prizes. This last week, our winner was Zeke Britton, so, uh, give it up for Brick. If you have a prophetic word or, uh, uh, something that you would like to share during the service, uh, come up to Mike Munson or myself, we're the host for the, the morning, and uh, we'll weigh that and see if we feel it's appropriate to share now or with somebody else. So uh, why don't you stand to your feet as we lift up the, this morning, we just pray. Father, we're grateful for, ooh, great, ooh, grateful for your spirit being here this morning. We are so blessed to be your people, Lord, to be in the house of the living God. Father, where there's destruction and chaos all around, there's peace and joy in the house. And so we thank you, Lord, for your presence today. And we ask that you would just be lifted up as we praise the living God in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.
worship you, we lift you up this morning. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one and only that we worship. We give you praise and honor. Thank you for walking with us through every season of our lives. We know that breakthrough is coming. It always comes for those who wait on the Lord, for your word says so. And we thank you for that this morning. Thank you that you never stop, that you're always working in us, Lord. We thank you for that. Just be encouraged this morning. Our God is always present. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He won't do it now. He won't do it, he won't do it tomorrow. He hasn't done it in the past. He's a faithful God. He is always with us, and he is here right now. You celebrate him this morning. Lord, we pray that you would fill us up with joy, God. Your joy is our strength. Your joy is our strength, and we declare that joy this morning. For all you brought me through, and now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. I'm moving forward to follow after you, and now I'm
Lord, this is about you. God, bring us back to worship you this morning. We get so fixed on our issues, all of our circumstances here, but we forget who. We forget your name, Lord. God, your name is higher than any authority, higher than any power, God. By your name, we have the power. We have the victory, God. God, you give us everything we need. You give us the love and grace we don't deserve, God. God, our sin is so great, but your love is so much greater, God. We just want to thank you, Lord.
powerful name it is the name of jesus what a powerful name it is the name of jesus what a powerful name it is the name of jesus you are worthy of it all
Father, but we are here for you. Yes, God, we lift you up, God. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. up your voice. Sing to your Father this morning. I exalt thee. Yes, we do. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Give him praise this morning. He is worthy. He is worthy. Yes, Father, we just welcome you in this place, God. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a perfect God. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We'd like to welcome you this morning to Firm Foundation Ministries in Centerville, Michigan. If there are any visitors in here, let's give a hand for our visitors. We'd like to say thank you for joining us. And for those listening on, uh, on live stream on Facebook or YouTube or Boxcast or on the rebroadcast, we'd like to welcome you this morning. We are super 
thankful, grateful to be here this morning. So this morning's a little different. As you can tell, I'm not Pastor Don. I'm not that buff. So you're like, man, this guy's, he's not as buff as the normal guy. So um, our pastor, he's currently in South Carolina. He's uh, preaching at Legacy Church. Some of our friends down there, the, the Stricklands, he's at the church with the, with the family. They're on vacation. So I have the, the humbling opportunity to share a word this morning. And before I go into my word, I would just like to take some time to honor our leader, Pastor Don and Lisa. Um, what's so special about just being here this morning is that, you know, I've been a part of this ministry most of my life. And Pastor Don has really been a, another father to me. He's been a spiritual father to me most of my life. And in my, my middle school years and my high school years, I remember when I was 16, I just quit basketball and Pastor Don came to me and said, hey, we're going to meet one-on-one and I'm going to give you this book. He gave me this, uh, this lesson that, that taught me like who God is, who Jesus is, uh, what is baptism, what is righteousness. And Pastor Don, he took, he took hours to, to devote into my life. And I know I'm not the only one in this room where Don has come to you individually and he poured himself into you. And especially now that I'm able to work with him every single day, I see his heart. I see his passion for this community and for this church. And he really loves this church. He really loves you guys. He really loves the young people here to build up disciples. And I don't know if this is your first time or third time. I don't know how long you've been going here. But what I can tell you is that this is a church where they care about discipling. This is a church where they care about the individuals. They care about crazy 15-year-olds like myself and said, hey, I'm going to pour myself into you. And that's what you see today. When you hear my voice this morning, you're not just going to be hearing my heart. You're going to be hearing the heart of Tim. You're going to be hearing the heart of Doug, Rod, Mike, Matt Stutzman, my dad, and Pastor Don, and so many more leaders that have poured into my life. They're still doing it today. And that's what I love about this church family. If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 5, verse 21, your phone or your Bible, whatever you have, it all works. And no lie, it's, it's, it's pretty intimidating trying to preach after Pastor Don because he's been bringing, bringing the fire, right? He's been, he has been preaching. And, and the greatest thing is that he said he's been experiencing revival in his own heart. He's, he's been, he hasn't had this much fun preaching in a long time. And... But I know that God is specifically giving us a word as a church, as a congregation. I really feel like he's trying to transition us into a place that is deeper. He's trying to move us into a place where we have never been before. And it might feel challenging. It might, it might hurt a little bit. But he's, he's wanting us to grow as a ministry. You know, through this, through this sermon series um, that wasn't really planned, we've seen God taking us on a journey right? He's, he's calling us to move like he told Abraham. It's time to move. And then that, that awkward place of transition. <clears throat> what does that transition look like in our lives? And then that transition from the breaking point into the breakthrough point, and we find that in the presence of God. And then two weeks ago, as, as, we, as God gave us a powerful word of desperation, we need to be desperate for change. You know, remember when Pastor Don set his chair right here and said, I'm not leaving until I'm set free from pornography, you know, and that was a powerful sermon. You know, many people came and brought their own chairs. That was super cool. It, was, it, was, it wasn't planned at all, you know, but what I want to talk about today is, is something that th- this change that God is trying to bring to us in our lives and to this church is more than a moment. The change that God is trying to bring into your life is more than a moment here at the altar, the moment at the altar is important, 
That's the first step, but there's so much more to that. And we need to understand that God's movement, his, his process of growth, his process of transformation, it takes a lot of time. And to find that freedom, you know, we, we learn in the process, walking day by day with God, you know, because we have this powerful moment here on Sunday, then Monday morning shows up, and we got to wake up for work, and the kids are screaming. Now we got to start getting them ready for school. You know, life isn't, it's, it's a process. But how do we do that? How do we practically live out this transformation? What can we use? What type of tool has God given us as a people to, to, trans, to, to see transformation in our lives? What, what do we have in our hands? What has God given us? And today I want to talk about one of the most powerful weapons that we get to use every day, and that's prayer. God has given us this tool to find freedom in our own lives every single day, every single moment of our lives. That's prayer. Prayer brings change. Prayer transforms lives. Prayer shakes the gates of hell. I know I'm not down, but I need some help. I like, I like participation because this word is for all of us, right? This is a Bible so we're learning together. Prayer causes demons to flee from the room. You know, one of my friends from Bible school once said, if we knew the ultimate power of prayer, if we really knew how powerful our prayers were, we'd be doing a lot more. If we could see the spiritual world with our physical eyes, everyone would show up to the prayer meeting. We need to grasp the importance of prayer. The OG himself, Billy Graham, said this once in a sermon. I love Billy Graham. He said this, in this modern age, where we live. We've learned to harness the power of the atom, but very few of us have learned how to fully develop the power of prayer. We have not yet learned that a man is more powerful on his knees than behind the most powerful weapons we have ever developed. We have not learned that a nation is more powerful when it unites in earnest prayer to God. We have not discovered that the answer to our problems can be through direct contact with God through prayer. We need to grab a hold about the power of prayer. We need to understand that prayer is more than grabbing the hands of your kids around the kitchen table. Prayer is more than just a little prayer you give in the beginning of your wedding or at a birthday party. Prayer is a continuous thing that needs to happen if we truly want to find transformation in our community. If we truly want to find transformation in our lives, we need to be praying continuously. We need prayer to survive. In my own life, if it wasn't for prayer, I don't know where I would be. And my title of today's sermon is The Position of Prayer. We've been talking about position. What position are you in in your life? Are you in a position of prayer? Are you ready for battle? Are you ready in a moment when, when a tragic accident happens in your life? Or when that temptation comes stronger than before? Are you ready to battle? Are you ready for this, for this fight that we face every day. Are you positioned for prayer? And that's where we're going to start in our story today. Mark 5, verse 21, if you'd like to join with me. We're going to read this story about this man, Jairus. He showed us how to walk in the right position of prayer. Here we go, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by the name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. 
Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with them, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. I want to stop right here and give a quick summary to what happens next. So, so far, this, this leader in the community, his name is Jairus. He comes to the feet of Jesus and says, hey, my daughter is dying. Can you come with me to my house so we can heal my daughter? And Jesus says, yes, take me to your house. And then Jesus, he stopped on the way to Jairus' house. He has to make a pit stop. And you see here from 25 to verse 33, just to quickly summarize it, a woman stops Jesus, grabs his garment and says, hey, I need, I need some healing too. I need some healing. I've had a blood disease for 12 years. Please, I need this healing. And Jesus makes a pit stop to heal her in this moment. And then now we're going to jump to verse 35. So Jesus says in 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. So he just healed this lady on the street on his way to Jairus' house. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus' house, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult in those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all aside, he took the father and the mother of the child, those who were with him, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and, there, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them and strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this, just this gift of the Bible that you have given us to just know more about you and to walk like you. Holy Spirit, I invite you in this place. We invite you here to speak. We invite you to move. We invite you to invade this place. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. So, so here's this man. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter is dying. I need you to come and heal her. And through this, through this journey from, from, from the, the street all the way to Jairus' house, you know, we, I want to observe the, the life of Jairus in this story. You know, what a beautiful story. I love reading stories of, of Jesus healing, you know, because we believe that, that Jesus, he was also God. So God sent his son Jesus through, through Mary, a virgin, to live this life. Jesus, our God, lived on earth for 33 years, 100% man, 100% God, and he changed the world in three years. And, and we get to experience that life here in the scripture, in the four gospels. And, and, but for this story specifically, I want to focus on Jairus this morning, because a lot of us are in Jairus's position here. So as we, we go back to the scripture, it says, one of the rulers of the synagogue came to Jesus. So Jairus, he's a prominent member of this community. So his position, the synagogue leader, is responsible for the synagogue facilities, the, uh, the security of the scrolls, the selection and the oversight of worship leaders, the, the general administration that's happening in the synagogue. He is an important man. He's an important religious man in this community at this time. Everyone knew about Jairus. He's clearly an insider to the people in this community. And then the next part, he says, he falls at the feet of Jesus and begs. Now, this is why it's significant. He's a man of authority. He's a man of religious authority in this area. And he must be concerned of his image. Because during this time, we see in Mark 
3.6, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're plotting to kill Jesus. You know, I don't know if you, you knew, but during this time, Jesus wasn't a very popular guy with the religious people during this time. He didn't have that official position. He didn't have that, you know, PJ, kind of like we give PD, Pastor Jesus, you know. He was in the eyes of the religious leaders, in the eyes of the leaders in this community, Jesus was a joke, and they wanted him gone. So the people that wanted Jesus dead were Jairus' homies. They were his associates. So for Jairus to come to the feet of Jesus, he knew that this would ruin his reputation. People would be so confused why he's doing this. But at the same time, when I read this, it's not really significant at all because he's a father of a dying child. And to all the parents here, if, you're, if your son, if your daughter is dying, you will do anything for them to get to the ER, right? You will do anything. You won't care what the people in the store will say. You, you don't care. You don't care about anything else for the fact of you want your child to be healed right now. He was desperate. Let me ask you, church, how desperate are you? How desperate are you for God to move in your life? You might be reading this story and say, you know, it's all, you know he's a, his daughter is dying. I don't have to worry about that. Well, there might be an area in your life that's actually dying right now. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're, you're, your child isn't dying. Maybe your marriage is dying. Maybe you're here this morning and literally you and your wife are trying and trying, but it's just killing the inside of you every day. Maybe you're not married, but maybe there's that depression you're facing right now that, that you are barely able to get in this room because you are so sad, and it is killing you. feels like you're dying inside. Maybe it's not depression. Maybe it's, maybe it's anxiety, where because of this anxiety, this fear that, that you have in your heart, you are ba- barely able to walk through the doors and say hi to your friends because you're so scared, and you're so fearful about everything that's happening. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's an addiction. Because as someone that has experienced addiction, I know that it kills. It kills your soul. It kills your heart. Whatever it is, just like Jairus, something is dying in your life. We need to be desperate, church. That's my first point. If we want to have the right position of prayer, we need to be in the position of desperation. We need to be desperate. We need to be desperate. And the truth is, whatever that area is, just like Jairus, Jairus realized that if it was up to his power, his daughter couldn't live. He could bring up all the verses. He could bring every tool he could bring in his own hands, but it would be impossible for his daughter to come back to life. So he came to Jesus. So we need to understand this morning that it is impossible for us to defeat that giant that's right in front of us. But with God, all things are possible. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. So I don't need to bring all these tools. I don't need to try, try, and try. All I need to do is call out to God, and he has the strength to bring life. He has the strength to defeat that enemy. But for God to work and move in your life, you need to invite him into your life. You see, the, the interesting, about, interesting thing about our God is that he's not a rude God. You know, many of us expect God to just kick down the door in our life and say, I am here. What's up? I'm here to fix your life. But in Revelation 3.20, it says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. He who lets me in, I will come in and dine with him, right? He who lets me in. We need to invite him in. We need to invite him 
into our lives. And that comes through prayer. What a greater way to invite God into your problem, invite God into your addiction, into your situation through prayer. It's super easy. God, come. That's how easy it is. God, I just invite you. I don't know if you noticed, but when we started the sermon, I I said in my prayer, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and speak because I know that if it was up to my words and my thoughts, I wouldn't be able to give a word. It's through the Holy Spirit. And now that when you're saved, you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now he's in you and he can speak to you. He can move in you. He can use you. It's all through invitation and it's all through prayer. This importance of prayer, which is communication with God. That's, That's the simplest definition of prayer, communication with God. But here's the problem with our world's view of prayer. We treat prayer as a wish list. We have this consumerism mindset in our walk with God that we can come to God with any request. And if he doesn't uh, specifically answer the prayer I want him to, he's not a good God. You see, in the context of the story, we are talking about desperation. In the context of the scripture today, we're going to talk about how we come to God with our problems. We're going to come to God and ask him to move. But really quick, I want to explain to you that prayer is even more than that. Prayer is even more than getting an answered prayer. So if you're going to say a prayer, it's probably because you want something to change. When you pray for a blessing, you want to be blessed. When you pray for protection, you want to be protected. When you pray for deliverance, you want your problems to go away as soon as possible, of course. But if change doesn't happen, or if change doesn't happen the way you think it should, you might conclude that prayer doesn't really work. And I think many of us have faced this before, where we create a false expectation to God saying, no, you don't understand, my man. This is how the prayer request is supposed to be given. But the end result of prayer should be God getting closer to you, not something God could provide. Let me say that again. The end result of prayer should be God getting closer to you, not just the blessing or or the gift. For all my parents, let me ask you a question. Why do you give your kids gifts at Christmas? Why do you give them gifts? It's not simply because you want them to have the toy so they can be distracted. Well, that's part of it, right? Maybe that's part of it. (laughs) But there's something below the surface that we really don't talk about. You know, the reason why you're giving your kids gifts is because you want to show them, hey, I love you and I want to be a part of your life. Right? When you give those gifts to your kids, you're saying, hey, here's the bike. I know you really want the bike, but I want you. I want, I want to go on a bike ride with you. You know, my dad, he just didn't give me a, a soccer ball just so I can kick it by myself. He wanted to play with me. And this is what God wants to do. He doesn't want to just bless us and let us do our own thing. He wants to bless us but still walk with us through the blessing. He wants to protect us and walk with us through the protection. He wants to heal us and walk with us through the healing. It's all about relationship. But what if you had a relationship based on what you can give the person? Like me and Colton, we're friends, right? What if I come to Colton and be like, hey, man, just checking in. Can I have your shoes? That's it. Or, oh, (laughs) my brother, just calling up, man. Um, I'm hungry. Can you uh, take me to Tokyo? Man, just, just driving by Colton, my friend, 
my guy, I need like 200 bucks, bro. Like, you know, they don't pay me a lot here, man. Like, I need some extra money. Like, ministry money's tough. That was a joke. That was a joke. Shouldn't even go on there. Wouldn't that be weird if your relationship was simply based on what you can get out of the person? But you'd be like, no, that's not a real friendship. That's a business partner. A lot of us are business partners with God. A lot of us wait for the transaction of the blessing instead of the transaction of the intimate love we have with God. And we need to change this perspective of prayer, church. We need to change this, this view of prayer, that prayer is all about what can I get from God? What can I receive from God? Well, it's more than receiving a blessing. It's receiving a relationship with God. It's receiving an inti- intimacy with God. If I would just come to God just because I had requests, just because I had a prayer list, I'd be praying maybe two, three times a week. But, there's, but if I have the mindset of saying, hey, I'm going to come pray. I'm going to come spend time with God because I want to get to know him. I love my God. I love my Father. Then prayer would be a lot, diff- a lot different. We need to be desperate for our relationship with God. We need to be desperate for our relationship with Jesus because he's always at the door knocking. And we have the opportunity to open up the door every single day. We have an opportunity to open up the door every single moment. This is so important, church. Prayer is so important. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect Bible reading. It is so important. The Bible says that, that, that the word is bread of life. Prayer gives us life. Reading gives us life. Prayer and Bible reading are meant for bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. It's meant to, it's for our souls. Prayer isn't just to tickle our ears. Prayer isn't something that we just come in, it sounds cool, and then we're going to leave and forget about what God did. We need prayer to survive. We need to be desperate for it. So how, how do we practically do this? Well, I encourage you, set aside a specific time of your day for prayer. This, this, this is the only, like for me, to, to really have an intimate relationship with God, to really hear God like never before, I had to make this step. Because Breno would always be like, no, I'll have time later. I'll, I can, I'll pray later when I get home. And then as soon as I got home, I would be dead tired, and I wouldn't want to pray. And we know how it is. Our schedules are so busy. So unless we set aside time, we're never going to have time. Same reason why you set aside a day or an hour to go on a date with your wife, because, you know, if you just keep saying, yeah, babe, we're just going to go out as soon as we're open, as soon as we're not busy. That's never going to happen. So it's important. I encourage you. This is my encouragement to go home, set aside a time that is specifically for prayer. For my schedule, I had to be like, okay, I, I am not a morning person, but the only free time I have is in the morning. So in college, I had to, I said, okay, my prayer time is from 6 to 7. Whether I go to bed at 10 p.m., or whether I don't go to bed at all, because I live with like 30 dudes and we never slept. Regardless of what happened, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray for six to seven, because I had to be desperate. Some of those mornings when I just think back and remember, God would move the strongest. He would speak to me the, the clearest on some of those most tiring days. Some of those mornings where I did not want to get up. I didn't feel like going to pray he would come and meet me in a powerful way. 
And then something would happen in the afternoon, and I'm just thinking, man, I am so glad I prayed. I'm so glad I set aside that time. And the thing is, you never regret that hour. You never regret setting aside time for, for prayer and for Bible reading. You'll definitely regret the hour, extra hour you spent watching Netflix. You'll definitely regret the extra hour scrolling on Facebook, but you will never regret spending time with God. We need to be desperate, church. We need to be desperate. How bad do you want God to move in your life? That air in your life that is dying, that area in your life that needs life, how desperate are, are, do you want it to be changed? Because here's the truth. If, you're too, if we're too busy to pray, we're not desperate. If we're too tired to pray, we're not desperate. If we're not willing to prioritize our personal time with Jesus, one-on-one, we're not desperate. If we're not praying for our governor, if we're not praying for the leaders in our community, if we're not praying for the officers across the street, we're not desperate for change. If we're not praying for our president, regardless of who it's going to be, we're not desperate for change because our prayers are so much more powerful than our complaints. Our prayers are so much more impactful in our world than anything else. And this is crazy. My mom, she had no idea what I was going to be talking about. And we were talking about prayer. We were talking about how do, how do we respond to these things happening in our community? And, and this is what she says, my mom. She says, we put our emotion, emotions, energy, and strength into something we can't change. Right? When we complain, when, when we go to Facebook for our problems, when we, when we argue with our spouse, when we do these things, when we respond this way, we're wasting our emotions and strength into something we can't change. But when we fall down to our knees in the altar and say, God, I believe you will bring change to this community, we're using our emotion and our strength and our energy into something that could bring change. Because when we take, yeah, come on, we need to be desperate for change in this community. We need to be praying for our teachers. Come on, church, we need to be praying for our school system right now. This is crazy. This is crazy. We need God to move. We need to pray for every single principal in our county. We need to pray for every single superintendent in our county right now. Because this is something that they have never expected to to experience, being leaders in the community this way. We need to pray for the daycare system. We need to pray for these people, for God to actually move. It's time to pray, church. It's time to pray. We cannot just sit back and watch all these things happen and just complain. We need to pray. We need to be desperate for this. But here's the good news. In this desperation, in this falling on our knees, we find God. My Bible tells me in Psalms 34, 17, that the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. He hears your prayers. He hears your cries. He may, not, he may not respond the way you want him to or the way he ex- you expect him to, but he hears and he will respond. What was the next verse in 24? He went with him. Jairus in de- desperation came, hey, I need you to bring life in this area of my life that is dead. And Jesus says, take me to your house. He came. He hears us and he comes in this desperation. 
when we're in this position of desperation in our prayers, He comes. So my next point is the position of patience. Yeah, I, I said, ooh, when I was, oh no, this is super hard for my life. To be in the right position of prayer, we need to be in the position of patience. So check this out. This is something very interesting of the story. You know, so we see um, Jesus says, Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and went with him. But now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many physical problems, she heard that Jesus came and said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be healed. And we see Jesus makes a pit stop. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, and he stops by this woman. Now, you really need to think about what's going on in Jairus' mind, right? So Jairus comes. He runs to Jesus and says, hey, I need you to heal my daughter. She's dying. Come with me. Jesus says, all right, I'll go with you. He's like, all right, all right, Jesus, let's go. Jesus is on his way. He heard my prayer. We're going to heal my daughter. Yo, Jesus. Yo, <laughs> my house is that way. What do you? Come on, man. You can, you can walk on water, but not like two blocks. Come on. Like, my house is over here. Like, can you imagine what Jairus is thinking? Like, no, Jesus, you don't understand. My daughter is dying. This would be equivalent to you coming today to Jesus and saying, hey, my daughter is dying. We need to go to Bronson Hospital. And Jesus is like, all right, let's go. And then y'all driving to Bronson Hospital. And then Jesus takes a pit stop in Schoolcraft. And you're like, what are you doing? Bronson Hospital is this way. Like, can't you hear my prayer? Like, what are you doing? Like, can you imagine, like, what's going on in Jairus' mind? And we don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us how long it took for this healing to happen, but we, we know that this is in chronological, chronological order. Chronological order. <laughs> yeah, Breno. <laughs> I've been having so much issues with that word this week. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that this was in chronological order. There we go. That's right. <laughs> so we know that, that Jairus was on, Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, and he had to make a stop to, um, to heal this woman. And, but poor Jairus, like during all this time, his daughter's laying at home. Her life is slipping away. It was torture to see Jesus take some time out to minister to this woman while his, his daughter suffered. You know, and even in our, our own lives, God is never slow, but he often seems slow to the sufferer. Have you, been, have you been here before? Because I've been in this place where Jairus is. Like, come on, Jesus, I thought you heard my prayer. Come on, Jesus, I thought you were omnipresent, all places at all times, all-knowing. Like, I don't think we got some bad connection, but it feels like it because I've been praying for this, and it hasn't happened yet. It's different for all of us. God, I've been praying for financial blessing. Lord, I've been praying for this promotion. God, I know that, that I have all the, the qualifications for this promotion. God, I've been praying for this for three months. You know, I want to get my daughter a car, but this guy Billy over here got it instead of me. Like, what's going on? Like, he got a bad smell, but whatever. He can keep the promotion. But God, like, like come on. Like, I wanted that promotion. Has anyone been there? 
God, I want to go to a university. After high school, I've been working hard, Father. I want to go to MSU. I want to go to Notre Dame. I'm, I've, been, I've been saving up money. God, I've been, I, I applied to every single scholarship, but all my friends got scholarships to MSU, but now I got to stay in Glen Oaks for two years, and I have to keep my job at Walmart and save up money to work at Glen Oaks still living in my parents' basement. God, I thought you heard, I thought you heard my prayer. This is real-life stuff. God, we've been trying to have a kid for six years. Father, you know our desire as, parent, as, as husband and wife to be parents. Everyone else is having kids. We've been trying, we even tried to adopt, but they keep denying our papers. God, do you hear me? Can you hear my prayers? God, my, my, my dad, he still has cancer. I'm hearing all these testimonies of other people getting healed from cancer and from all these diseases. My dad is still in pain. You hear my prayer? God, I've been addicted to pornography for 12 years. I've read all the books done all these things. Everyone else is getting free. Everyone is doing the glory run in the altar, but I'm still stuck. Do you hear my prayer? This is real life stuff. We become, we, we, we become hopeless. We become hopeless when we see God working in other people's lives, but not in our own lives. You know, it's tough when our prayers don't align with, with our timing, with God's timing. Um, and this is where, when I was preparing for this, I, I was just like, dude, like, this is even tough for me in my own life. Because I bring my prayers. I bring my requests. I even fast for some prayer requests. <laughs> All the holy people said Amen. I sometimes fast for a prayer request, and still nothing happens, and it's tough. But we need, to, we need to understand that God's timing is different from our timing. God's timing on a prayer is according to his perfect plan. But then our prayers are usually according to our present desire and emotion. Our prayers are according to our perspective of our lives. You know, like when you even think of that word or that verse in, in uh, Psalms, I think, like you're the, you're the light, you're the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. You know, a lamp, it doesn't, it doesn't blast out light, you know, like, like your headlights do in your car. Like a lamp is just step by step. So we, we don't see what's ahead. We don't see what God has for us. So, so that's why our prayers are, are different than, than the ultimate plan of God because we don't know the ultimate plan of God. We don't know what God is doing in this. And this is a reality that we need to grasp. And I'm saying this as an encouragement, that God's timing is perfect, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it feels like he's too late, he's actually right on time. God is right on time. And when we live in the position of patience, when we pray in the position of patience, our prayers are different. So instead of asking God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Ask him, 
What are you doing in this season of waiting? What are you doing? What is your plan in all this? Like, God, what are you trying to do with all of these things happening? Okay, God, I asked for this prayer request. It didn't happen. Okay, I trust you. It means your hand is on this. Reveal to me what I need to do in this season. So maybe you're right there. God, I wanted to go to a university. I wanted to get out of my parents' house, but that ain't happening. I'm staying at Glen Oaks for the next two years. Father, what do you, what do you have for me in this area? Do you, do you want me to, to, to start doing more stuff at home? Maybe this is a season where I need to start learning how to cook and learning how to do these things at home. Maybe you have me home to help out with my mom who might get sick in a month and I might need to be home for her. Father, what do you have for me in this area? Do you want me to connect with the FFM Young Adults group on Tuesdays from 6.30 to 8.30? That's a little plug for our Young Adults group. But um, God, what do, you want, what do you want to do in this season of my life? You know, but maybe, maybe the reason why your prayers aren't answered the way you want is because you're not ready. And that's not a bad thing because he's patient, he's gracious, and he's merciful but he's also so loving to us that he's not going to throw us into something that we're not ready for. I'll tell you what, there are many different things in my life where I look back and I'm like, God, thank you for not saying yes to that. <laughs> I brought that request. God, I am so thankful that you didn't let me to go through that mess. Right? Because we don't, we don't have the perspective of the perfect plan. So we need to trust him. Because like we said, the ultimate goal of prayer is to get closer to God. And here's the thing, whether you have a promotion or whether you keep the same job, whether you stay in the area, whether you go to the really cool college, whatever happens in your life, God is still right there. Because your situation might change, your season might change, your circumstances might change, but God never changes. He remains the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So whether you feel like you're in a waiting season or a prosperous season, God is still the same. And if prayer is truly the the connection with God, the intimate relationship with God, then we should keep praying. We should keep crying out to him because regardless of what's going on in our own lives, God is the same and he's going to stay with us. Just in case y'all haven't seen it, God hasn't changed since COVID-19. God hasn't changed since the marches. God has been the same. He's been the same. And that's all we need for our lives. For me to wake up and say, God, you are still the same, I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to keep moving, and I'm going to keep praying. And it's tough, but we have to stay persistent. When we stay patient, we have to stay persistent. We have to stay consistent. Here's the thing. Our brother Wayne Carter, he's, he's been diagnosed for cancer for months, and we've been praying for months. Y'all remember 66 days of prayer? We prayed for Wayne every single night. Is he completely healed yet? No. Are we going to keep praying? Yes. Come on. My mom, she's had headaches and migraines since I could remember. One of my first prayers as an eight-year-old, seven-year-old, I remember being that young and saying, God, we believe that you have the healing power to heal my mom. Please do it. I just said that prayer like three weeks ago. She hasn't been healed yet. Does she, do you still have migraines? Do you still get headaches? Yes. 
Are we going to stop praying for my mom? No. Because we still believe in the healing power. We still believe in the healing workings of God. The truth is, he's just, he might not heal the way we expect, or he may not heal in the timing that we expected. What if my mom got healed when I was eight, and because she was so fine, I didn't feel like praying as a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old? Maybe, the, the, uh, maybe my mom being completely healed would pull me away from the importance of prayer. And sometimes we face a season in our lives specifically because God doesn't want us to get lukewarm or God doesn't want us to get to run away from him because naturally when everything is going good, when everything is going great, we tend to walk away from the prayer closet, from the prayer room. But maybe God is thinking, and I know that this person, they need, they need to stay with me right here. He might have you in the season right now to keep you close because the word says he's close to the brokenhearted. So if you're going through something where you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, and he hasn't healed yet, keep praying, keep praying, and keep praying. And sometimes he even, the greatest healing we can receive is not, not necessarily the healing from the disease, but it's eternal life in heaven. That's the ultimate healing, perfection. You know, Doug just mentioned it. I lost my great aunt this morning to COVID. And this is really tough for our family because everyone's in Brazil and we can't, we can't be with any of them and um, that's tough. And we got that news. Now I got to come on stage and preach about healing. But I'm still here preaching about healing because I know that she doesn't have any pain right now and that she's in heaven and that she's dancing and that she's rejoicing. So yes, it is hard when God doesn't answer the prayer that you expected him to, to, to answer it. But we need to trust our Father. We need to trust our God. We're in a season where a lot of people are mad, you know, with football canceling. That's heartbreaking. I'm not, I'm, I'm not in football at all, but like, I feel for my boys over here, you know, that, that, that are playing. Like, that sucks. Like, I can't imagine, like, my senior year, you know, soccer getting canceled or something like that. That's tough. And I know people are, are sad. People are angry. People are frustrated. But our question has to be, God, what are you doing in all this? Why, why is football canceled? Is God opening space for these young people to experience revival? Is, is God doing something through all of this? Or does, or does God know that the season is going to be a lot better, people are going to be a lot stronger, people are going to be a lot ready to play in the spring? We don't know. But all we have to do in this place of not knowing is, God, what are you doing through this? Because here's the good news. In this story, Jesus made a pit stop. He didn't walk away. He made a pit stop. He didn't leave, Jairus. Jesus was on the way. Jairus' daughter isn't healed yet, but Jesus is on his way. You still struggling with that addiction, with that alcoholism? Jesus is on the way. 
You're having financial issues with your wife and in your house, you might get foreclosed. Jesus is on the way. You just lost a loved one. Jesus is on the way. And we need to rest in this promise. We need to rest in this fact that whatever is happening in your life, regardless of what is happening, Jesus is on his way. Jesus is still moving. He is still speaking. His kingdom is still here. In the end of this book, it tells me that he is coming back to take us back all to heaven. He's on his way. Jesus is on his way. We need to trust him. We need to trust our father. Regardless of how your prayer was answered, our prayer needs to be, God, I may, not, I may know what's good for me, but you know what's best for me. I may know what looks good right here in the moment, but you know what looks great on the rest of the story. Because you are a good God. You are a faithful God. I trust in you regardless of what's happening. This is how we pray in the position of patience. When we're, in pa- when we're patient, when we wait on the Lord, what does the word say? He renews our strength. This is what it says in our word. Blessed are those who wait on the Lord. The Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is a promise in our word. His promise is greater than our prayer requests. All of these things, his promise still stands. We need to trust in that in this season of patience. So here we we see the life of Jairus. He was in this position of desperation. We have to be desperate. We have to be desperate for God to move, to God to come. We need to fall on our knees every single day, every single morning, every single night. God, come and move. We need you in this community. We need you in the lives of the teachers. God, this desperation and also this position of faithfulness or patience. God, I trust you even though you may not answering the prayers, the timing I want to, but I can still trust in your ultimate promise. I can still trust in your ultimate plan. So I will keep praying until your promise is revealed. And the last one is we need to be in the position of faithfulness. We need to have faith. So we see in this story that he just healed the woman on the street. Jesus just healed the woman on the street. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus's house, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said, do not be afraid, only believe. But here in this moment, exactly what what Jairus was afraid of happened in a way. Your daughter is dead. Jairus' heart sank when he heard this. He must have thought, I knew this was taking too long. I knew Jesus shouldn't have wasted his time on the silly woman. Now the situation is beyond hope. Maybe you've been, been there where your situation was beyond hope. I smoked again. I won't beat this. Dad still has cancer. He won't get healed. I watch porn again. I can't beat this addiction. I cut myself again. I won't beat this depression. Another anxiety attack, really. I'm never going to find that peace. 
This is a real moment. When that one error in your life that is dying, dies. Or you, you come to that thought that I'm not going to find freedom. I'm not going to find this promise that God really wants. Look how Jesus responds. He says, do not be afraid, only believe. So Jairus told, Jesus told Jairus these two things. First, to stop being afraid. It kind of almost sounds cruel for Jesus to say this to a man that just lost his daughter. <laughs> like, hey, don't be afraid. But Jesus knew that fear and faith don't go together. Jesus knew in this moment that for Jairus to have faith, he needed to remove his fear. Jesus told him after that, he said, do not be afraid, only believe. And he's pretty much telling you, hey, don't try to believe and be afraid at the same time. Don't try to believe and figure it all out. Figure it all out. Don't don't try to believe and try to get all your numbers written out and ready. Just believe. Only believe. And all he had to believe in was the word of Jesus that was spoken in this moment. Everything else told him the situation was hopeless, but the word of Jesus brought hope. Every other factor in this story seems hopeless except what Jesus said. So for Jesus to move in this moment, a miracle had to happen. Something impossible had to take place or something that seemed impossible in the eyes of Jairus. Everything else told him the situation was hopeless, but this word, this truth that came out of the mouth of Jesus brought this. And then what does Jesus say? The child is not dead, but he's sleeping. And then the next verse, it says, they, they mocked him. They laughed at him. But think of the heaviness of this moment. A 12-year-old girl just died. And this random man comes up and says, she's just sleeping. That's like, like someone would throw hands, like someone would punch Jesus in the face. Like, can you imagine that? Like going to a hospital bed where the girl just dies and he says, she's only sleeping. Like, you need to imagine what's going on in the other people's minds right now. Jesus says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. But Jesus wasn't out of touch with the reality when he said this. He wasn't playing make-believe. Jesus said this because he knew a higher reality, a spiritual reality, that was more certain and powerful than death itself. He knew a higher reality a spiritual reality. There are many things going on in our world today with our own eyes and it, everything we see, but there is a spiritual reality that is greater than what's happening. There is a spiritual reality that is greater than this disease, this virus that is taking place. There is a greater reality that we need to grasp, the spiritual reality. And then he says, little girl, I say to you, arise, Talitha Kumi. Which means, girl, I tell you, get up. 
Talitha Kumi sounds a lot cooler than girl, get up. Talitha Kumi. What a bo- Jesus, man. What a boss. He says, Talitha Kumi, girl, I tell you, arise, get up, wake up from your sleep. You're awake. See, she's awake. Jesus spoke to a dead girl as if she was alive. And he did this because, of course, he's God, because he does these things. But the same power is in us. You know, Romans 4, 17 says that God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Jesus spoke to this girl with the power of God that raised her from the dead. And we see the next verse. They were overcome with great amazement. Jesus didn't fail Jairus, and he didn't fail the woman who needed healing on the side of the road. But in ministering to both, he needed to stretch the faith of Jairus. Maybe that's what God is trying to do in your own life because he does have the power to heal that addiction in that second. He does have the power to heal your marriage right now. He does have the power to heal the sickness you're facing, but maybe he's wanting a little bit of faith. Maybe he's wanting something from your heart, from your soul to actually step into the spiritual reality instead of just relying on the realities we see on the news. Maybe God is waiting for us as a people to step in the spiritual reality that, no, this, this virus, yeah, it canceled football, but it's not canceling the purpose of these high schoolers. Yeah, all these things are going on, but I know the spiritual reality that God is still good and that he is still moving. He's trying to t- take a shift in FFM from the earthly reality to the spiritual reality, that he will bring life into these places because we need to have faith. We need to have faith to see God move in our prayer life. Our prayers are dead if we don't have faith. Our prayers are dead if we don't have faith. If we don't believe in our hearts that he can truly move in our lives, then we won't see this. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance in what we do not see. So we need to have faith greater than than the circumstances that we're facing today. And we need to trust him for the the blessing and for what he's going to do after this. We need to pray in truth. We need to pray in confidence. We need to pray in assurance in the healing power of Jesus. And it says, only believe. Only believe. But the problem is, Many of us don't. Many of us don't believe when we pray. Many of us don't even want to come to pray because we we don't have the faith. Many of us don't open up our mouths when when we pray for things here at church or even worship because we simply don't believe. And and it's because many of us are trapped in the lies. Many of us are trapped in the lies that have put upon that have been. Uh, pouring into us. It's ultimately the devil. It's ultimately the enemy. But maybe those lies came through your parents. Lies came through a boss, a leader, a family member. There are lies that we have listened to that has trapped us in the position of victory. And this has affected your prayer life. And the way you view God and the way you view your struggle dictates your position in the battle. The way you view God and the way you view your struggle 
The way you view your present circumstance dictates how you pray. And now because you view your struggle or even your life as something too great to overcome, you're living your life as a victim instead of a victor. In our, walks, in our walk with God, in our position in prayer, in our position in the battle, you either pray as a victim or a victor. As Christians, we live our lives as victims or victors. Which one are you going to choose? So you may be curious on why these two chairs are here. Because I low-key forgot to mention it. I was going to earlier, but I didn't. But maybe that brought more effect. I don't know. I'm still learning. But you might be curious on why these two chairs are here this morning. Today I want to, in a way, show you how important it is to pray as a victim or a victor. So here this chair, this represents being a victim. So in our lives, we're not perfect. We sin. We fall. There's evil in this world. We fall to temptation. So we're in this moment where we fall to sin. This happens all the time. We fall to sin. We fall to addiction. We fall to to whatever we're trying to face. And then we begin to put condemnation on ourselves. We begin to put shame and guilt on ourselves. And we choose to, to sit in the seat of condemnation. And the crazy thing is, God didn't put you in this chair. You put yourself in this chair. When we fall to sin and we decide not to live in forgiveness, to not repent, we sit in this seat of guilt and we sit in this seat of shame. And what we don't realize is as we sit in this seat, the more we put lies into our brains, lies like, I'm never going to be free from alcohol. It runs in my family. I'm never going to be free from pornography addiction. I'm a pervert. My marriage is never going to get healed. He's never going to forgive me. She's never going to forgive me. <laughs> you re- I've been waiting for you to bring healing in my life, but nothing has really happened. Yeah, every man's battle. Okay, I can't do that. I'm a joke. I can't be a part of the worship team. I'm a failure. I can't be the husband I'm called to be. I'm a boy. I'm not the father that my kids need. I'm a joke. I'm not going to find healing. I'm not going to find freedom. And we get stuck. We get trapped in the seat of condemnation. And when we don't even realize that instead of trusting the healing power of God, we put the trust in ourselves. And we try and we try and we try and we try and we try, but we still stuck. We try to put it in our own hands, but we're still stuck. And then we go, we go try, we go try, and we, we fail again because we're stuck in condemnation. We're stuck in shame. We're stuck in guilt. We're not finding joy anymore because we're soaking in our depression. And we keep telling these lies that I'm not beautiful. 
I'm never going to find a husband. I'm never going to find freedom from this. I shouldn't, ha- I'm not, I shouldn't have any friends. Like, this is terrible. And we're putting lives into our life. And what we don't realize, too, is that God never wanted you here. And many of us this morning think that God is the one that placed us in this seat. Many of us think that God is the one that put condemnation on us. God is the one that put shame. God is the one that put condemnation on us. And now we're stuck. And now we're living our lives as a victim. We pray as a victim. We battle as a victim. We live our lives as a victim. Because instead of resting in the victory that's in Christ, we victimize ourselves into the lies of the world. I feel like many people are here this morning where you see, you see everything happening around you, but you're stuck. You see them worshiping on stage, but you're stuck. You're seeing everyone else's marriage go great, but you're stuck. Seems like all your other friends are finding freedom from alcoholism and porn, but you're stuck. And we can be surrounded by the move of God. We can be surrounded by revival with our own eyes. But unless we live in forgiveness and repentance, yeah. we'll never have it for ourselves. And I believe that this morning God is trying to bring healing into your hearts. And he's coming to you this morning. He says, hey, I did not put you in that seat of condemnation. I have more for you. Yeah, you failed again, but I'm greater than that failure. Let's find freedom. Yeah, I know you sinned again. Well, let's pray again. Because you know what he did? He sent Jesus on that cross. And what I love about it is that Jesus didn't just die on that cross to give me everlasting life in heaven. He died on that cross to give me freedom today. And through Jesus, through the cross, through what happened on Calvary years ago, what I can do today is even in my failure, in my sin, in everything that is going on, I can come to the throne of God in confidence and I can say there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I can come to his throne and I say, yes, Father, you sent your son to die for my pornography addiction, die for my depression, die for my sickness, and I believe that you are the healer because you have given freedom in whom the son sets free is free indeed. Who the son sets free is free indeed. And I don't have to sit in that seat anymore. It's irrelevant. The seat is irrelevant because of Jesus. We don't have to have condemnation. You don't have to have shame. You don't have to have guilt. You know what you can do? You can sit in the seat of victory. That seat of being a victim is irrelevant now. You can sit in the seat of victory, and you can pray like this. Lord, I failed again tonight. I watched porn again tonight, but I believe that you have given me a pure heart. You have purity for the righteous, so I will fall to your knees again. I will run to my Father again. Yes, Father, I fell in depression again tonight, but your word said that joy comes in the morning, and your word says in Psalms that you turn my morning into dancing. God, I have victory in you. 
Yes, Father, my wife is packing her bags, but I believe that you have the power to restore our relationship. You are the restorer of every single relationship, Father. God, I, I repent. I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness. I come to you again because I know you have victory for me. It may not be uh, last night, but you have it for me tomorrow in the next day, in the next day, because I know as a child of God, I don't fight for victory. I fight from victory because I'm a victor in God. We are victors in Christ. We have victory. We can have victory this morning. You don't have to be a victim any longer. God took care of it on the cross. He took care of your shame on the cross. You don't have to live as a victim anymore. You can live as a victor. Here's the difference between the two. Victims, they stay down when fallen. But victors stand right back up. Victims, they wish it was different. But victors put in the work to make a change. Victims are discouraged with what's happening out in the world. But victors, they're encouraged by what's happening in this book. Victims, they always feel defeated. But victors are determined and desperate. Victims live in regret. But victors live in repentance. Victims make excuses. But victors make execution. Victims pray with concern, but victors pray with confidence. Victims pray in doubt, but victors pray in faith. Victims try to fight on their own, but victors know that God is the one fighting for them. Victors are more than conquerors. I'm talking to, is there any people of God in this place? I'm talking to the people of God in this place. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. This is all from the Bible. It's not about me. This is, you are more than an overcomer. You are a champion. Victors are champions. Victim, victors are fighters. You're a fighter, and you're on the winning side. Victors know who they are in Christ. It's time to fight like we're on the victorious side. It's time to pray like we're on the victorious side. Christians, we need to stop living as victims and live as victors this morning. He wears the victor's crown. And he has it for us. He did it for us. So we have no reason to live in condemnation. We have no reason to live in guilt. No reason to live in shame. Jesus already took care of it. And God is waiting for a church. God is waiting for a group of people who will just live in victory. That's all he's asking. God is waiting for a church that will, instead of soaking all their problems to the people outside, that they would come to the altar and pray for change. God is waiting for a people to pray for the miraculous power of God because I still believe that God has the power to wipe the virus completely. I know he can. I know he can. And we need to pray for that. This change happens through prayer. The worship team can come up in this time. In this position of battle, There's this victory that God has given us, this position of victory. And he wants us to live that that out. Not just in a moment, but in a long time. You you guys can move the chairs if you guys want. (laughs) And just like I said in the beginning, this change that God wants to do is more than a moment. The change that God wants to do in your life is more than Sunday morning here at the altar. That's the first step to that. But then now it's up to us to walk in that through prayer, through Bible reading, 
through these things that, that come, that God has given us. There are many verses in this book that, have, that assign us that we need to pray. And we have the freedom to pray. And here's a little practical thing for you that we talked about in our young adults group. In prayer, like, and there's also verses that talk about different things. Like, what I do sometimes is I search up on Google, Bible verses about joy. Bible verses about overcoming fear. Bible verses about overcoming addiction. It's all in here. We can find that in here. And there's a victory that we have in Christ. Through his word, we have a victory. And of course, we're all human. We're just as broken as people in the world. We're just as sinful as people in the world. But the difference is we know the spiritual reality and who we are in Christ. We know that spiritual reality. Stand with me in this place. We have a victory. We have a victory in Jesus this morning. And I really hope that this prayer, or this sermon, helps you with your prayer life. And, you know, Jesus has given us the authority over Satan. He's given us the authority to rebuke the enemy. He, gives, he, ha, he gave us that authority. So when you're in that moment of sin, when you're in that moment of temptation, just remember that God has already defeated that battle so you can tell that devil to get out of the room. You have the power to do that because of the victory in Christ. And I want you to know that this altar is open. If you feel like you've been living as a victim, if you feel like you, have, you are sitting in this chair of condemnation, this chair of shame, in, in this chair of guilt, I encourage you to come up in the front and let's cut that, that spirit of condemnation. We have people that here that, that can pray for you. I encourage you to come. You don't have to live as a victim anymore. You can live as a victor in Christ. You can live in victory because of him. So we encourage you for that, but also if you're in this room and you've never received Jesus before, this, is, you, this, this sermon is new to you. You've never heard a message like this. You don't know about this spiritual reality I'm talking about. Well, Jesus died for you too. Jesus didn't die for, for just the Christians that come to church on Sunday mornings. He died for you. If this is your first time in church, in a church building, he died for you. There was no qualification that had to be given to God for him to die for you. He died for every single one of us, regardless of what you've been through. And I want to say, as, as a 21-year-old, I've made many different decisions. I know it's young, I'm young, but the greatest decision I made was giving my life to Jesus. The greatest decision I made was surrendering everything I had to the gospel and to God. And I, and I promise you that that will be the greatest decision you can make today. You can make for your life is to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. And if you want to do that, we have people here that can pray for you. So whether, whether this is your first time hearing it, you want to be a child of God, 
or you've been a child of God and you've been praying as a victim and you want to see change, you want to see chains being broken, we, either way, we encourage you to come to the front. But if you don't want to come to the front, that's okay because my God can, can make a pit stop and head over to your chair. Wherever you're at, we encourage you to live in that victory. And we encourage you to, to sing this song with us as we declare the victory in Jesus. with 
our service just just raise your hands up to heaven with me father we thank you so much for the victory you have given us through your son jesus thank you for the ultimate sacrifice for giving us victory today in 2020 and father we understand that what we're battling today is 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 strong it's it's hard but father we believe that you that you have given us that victory you know you know we preach about prayer i just want to take some time to pray mom can you pray just for the school system so much. We thank you for the school systems that we have. God, in our area, in the St. Joe County, God. And right now, we just want to lift up every school to you. In Indiana, we have so many represented here from Indiana as well, God. We, went up, we want to pray for all the school systems. We pray, God, that your angels would, would just surround the buildings. We pray for protection over all the children coming in. All the students, all the staff members, all the leaders in every school, God, we pray for your protection. We pray that you would surround the schools with your angels, God. We pray, Father, for peace to come, for an overwhelming peace to come over every building, God. That your peace would reign. God, that you would quiet the hearts that are anxious, that you would quiet the ones that are, the hearts that are uh, just concerned with the realities around them. God, I just pray for uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding for a peace that surpasses all the circumstances around us god i pray that that teachers would be encouraged to teach god and, and to love on the students lord i pray that students would be eager to learn father we pray also for those who are keeping their kids at home who are working at home god we pray a special blessing over those parents who are homeschooling too God, we pray for all the decisions that are yet to be made. For those who are yet making decisions, we pray for your direction. God, we thank you that we can call on your name, that we can cry out to you and know that you have our lives in your hands. God, we know that you have the lives of our children in your hands, God. When we dedicate them to you, we give them to you. That means we trust you with our children. We trust you with our students. So, Father, we thank you. 
we thank you that we can call on your name today and know that you are with us always. God, and as we're praying for the schools, I just want to lift up all of the, the high schoolers that, um, with the news that their season has been come to a close and postponed to the spring. Father, I just pray for just peace among all the, the high schoolers, God, that, that played football. God, give them peace, give them grace, give them mercy, and even to the coaches, too, as this is a hard time. God, I pray that you just give peace to, to any anger, to any frustration. I pray, God, our 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 heart's prayer is, God, we want to be aligned with what you're doing. So we ask, God, that you show us what you're trying to do with, with this cancellation of, of, fall, of, of football and everything that's happening, God. Just give us direction. And, Father, I just want to pray for every single person in this room, God. You know their needs, God. You know what they're going through. Father, I pray that you meet their need in an intimate way, that you meet their need in a powerful way. And I pray that you can just bring transformation to their lives this morning and for the days to come. God, I just pray for FFM. I pray for FFM Centerville. I pray for FFM Kalamazoo, our church plant that's in Kalamazoo. God, I pray that you bless them. You keep showing them what you're doing. Keep providing for them. Keep protecting them as well as they're part of our church as well. But God, we just want to be a people obedient to your word. We just want to be a people to serve your ultimate plan and your ultimate purpose in our community, but also for this world. We just ask that you just continue to speak to us as a, a ministry. Speak to us as a church and say, we just say, God, what are you doing here at FFM? What are you doing here in this church? We want to do exactly that, God. God, thank you for being here with us this morning. And we know that you will continue to be with us the days to come. We give you all the praise and all the glory this morning. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's give another hand to God. I want to thank you so much for coming. And to those listening on the live broadcast, thank you for listening to us. And uh, we hope to see you guys next week. Also, this Saturday night, we have ministry night at 6 o'clock, a worship night. You're more than welcome to come. Have a blessed day.